Welcome to Haver Bros, a podcast for historic cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Hey, Christopher, guess what? What? We have very exciting news for our listeners. We are on Apple Podcasts. Very exciting. Yes. Sorry, I did not sound very excited there. It it is very exciting um, because we've been... opening up social media accounts and trying to publicize our podcast while also uh, not being able to share links to Apple or to iTunes. Uh, So instead uh, it would direct them to anchor, which uh, I don't know about you. I'm not, I'm someone who listens to podcasts all the time. I, I don't quite understand that those who have dropped off of podcast listening because they have no commute because, uh, I listen to podcasts when I'm doing housework, when I'm walking around the house, I have headphones in, uh, when I'm washing dishes, when I'm uh, doing kind of basic things. Yeah. Me so, too, man. Yeah. So I, I listen to podcasts all the time and uh, I, I picture um, pe- people having to like click a link and sit in front of their computer and listen, um, which is kind of <laughs> kind of annoying when, when someone shares something uh, lengthy that directs you to something or even a video like a 15 minute video who's got the time to sit in front of a computer for 15 minutes but if i can listen to it while i'm on the go yeah absolutely i i am able to do that so i'm excited for what this means for uh sharing the podcast and so uh, we'd love to just open this up and have great uh, conversations and interaction uh just with uh, our listeners uh so if you like this podcast please share it uh, we, we, you know, we have links now that you can use to share it. Uh, and, uh, later in the Absolutely. podcast, you will see, you'll, you'll see that we have gotten some feedback and we'll, some questions and we'll address those things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, leave, Oh, biggest thing, subscribe and leave a five-star review. Um, Apple's inscrutable algorithms, um, are really kind of driven so far as we are given to understand by five-star reviews. Would you say that's fair? I don't even know if that's true, but <laughs> that's what I've been given to understand. Tell your friends. Um, so it, ta- it takes 30 seconds. You don't have to be profound or interesting. Just say, Hey, these guys are great. Even if that's only 80% true. <laughs> All right. Enough with the self-deprecating humor. How was your week, Christopher? Uh, pretty good. Uh, a lot more biking. We've had some amazing weather, although it seems like kind of across the, the middle of the country, we went from quite warm and sunny yesterday to, uh, very cool today. We're recording this on Wednesday and it'll probably come out later today. What on the Wednesday of Holy week. So Tuesday, uh, it was like 75 and sunny here and we won't see 65 or even 60 again for maybe eight or nine days. So, uh, qu- quite a shift in weather, uh, dropped 20 degrees. Um, and so our activities will change quite a bit less biking. I bought on Saturday, I bought myself a road bike, which is very exciting for me. I've lusted after a road bike for years. Uh, road bikes, road bikes go zoom. Uh, <laughs> And as, as we get older, uh, it, it's nice to have a, a lower impact uh, method of doing cardio where I usually run or play basketball. I can't play basketball. Uh, I'm still running, but uh, the opportunity to hop on a bike and, and, and average over 20 miles an hour is very appealing. Or maybe I won't. I don't, I'm not sure how. <laughs> but like it's, I, I did a test ride of the bike and it was positively exhilarating. Like I flew on it. And then two days later, uh, I biked again and there's some wind and I, I didn't go quite as fast, but boy, it was, it was very, uh, uh it's, it's just a lot of fun to have a, a road bike where you can, uh, not have the, the restriction, uh, of bigger tires, uh, or the weight that you're carrying. So you could just, you can just go, yeah. man. 
It's great. I really, uh, I really envy uh, your neighborhood and your town in terms of uh, biking opportunities. Um, for those of you who live in Western Pennsylvania or have ever been to Western Pennsylvania um, or driven from the Pittsburgh <laughs> airport in Pittsburgh, you get a, a quick sense of the topography. Um, first of all, a lot of these roads were built before the uh, invention of automobiles, so there's really no shoulder in any <laughs> meaningful sense of the word. Um, and, uh, and the roads, even like quote unquote state highways, um, uh, are, uh, straight uphill around a bend. And then you corkscrew down the hill in the opposite direction. And, uh, as when you're driving and you, uh, you come across a biker, you're always muttering to yourself. Um, but when the shoe's on the other foot and you are the biker, it is, it is really terrifying. And so like, I don't have, I don't have lots of great, uh, biking spots. Um, and, and biking here is, is, is probably 20% pleasant biking, 40% um, going three miles an hour up a, up huh. a frustrating hill. We're going 45 miles an hour down a terrifying hill. Mm. Um, we are like basically in the northernmost reaches of Appalachia. And so that's our topography. So you, um, yeah, yay for you uh, and your biking prowess. Um, you and I are entering uh, stages of our lives where biking will have to kind of supersede running. Mm-hmm. Um, the doctor has kind of told both of us that our hips are going. Um, correct? Yeah. Yeah, we're not that old, but but there's some congenital, yeah. just degenerative like hip stuff going on. So, yeah, we, we kind of have to watch watch that, watch the, the impact. So, uh, Kirk, Kirk um, when you were telling the story about uh, your daughter, Daphne, who had a birthday this week, so that's exciting. Yeah. Um, it's quarantine birthday. Quarantine birthday. You're telling yeah. about how she got her asked to get her hair dyed like Harley Quinn. I can't mm-hmm. believe that I didn't think of the story about how uh, just a few months ago she asked just very <laughs> ingenuously, just like, Mommy, can you get me a grappling hook? <laughs> yes. As yeah. if that would be as if that were a perfectly normal request from a child. To a right. Parent. No, no. Wide-eyed and sincerely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm in some a terrible father. I'm trying to think of the, the show that she was into for a while. It's like um DC Supergirls or Superhero Girls or something like this. And so it's got all the uh the DC female superheroes and villains. So like it's a mixture of villains like Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn uh Catwoman and then and then the the hero Supergirl Wonder Woman uh etc and but for some reason she's taken to Harley Quinn well anyhow um she's noticed that that Batman uses grappling hooks and uh yeah, I've never used grappling hooks but you know even watching grappling hooks on a, on a cartoon <laughs> they look really cool and uh and you're like hey I could do that throw that over, uh, over uh, up onto the building and climb up the side of the building. And that's what Daphne thought. And um, so I, I don't know, several people have sort of um, lovingly messed with her head telling her, yes, yes, we ordered them on Amazon or whatever. <laughs> but, but when you, when you sent her the message uh, last week, um, she clapped her hands in delight. Um, yeah. I sent her a birthday video message just saying happy birthday. And uh, yeah. Oh, by the way, I got you a grappling hook. It's, it's in the mail. <laughs> Yeah, no, the look on her face was like, he gets me. <laughs> it, was great. it was great. And I did have a uh, correction from uh, a listener, uh, Father Joe Gasberry, from uh, the pleasant reaches of uh, the South, who corrected me on the colors of uh, Harley Quinn's hair. Um, but since I'm colorblind and it doesn't really matter to me, it's like a tone deaf person picking his favorite Beethoven symphony. It doesn't matter to him. I've forgotten all over again. She what... is hair dyed colors that aren't natural colors so that's what what you're saying daddy can i have some odd like not blonde not brown i'll tell you what i'm speaking of hair our um man our corona hair with the boys with the three boys and me it's not good so my scheduled haircut was like a couple days after kind of everything shut down uh when would that have been three or four weeks ago i mean the time really uh we i've kind of lost all sense of time in this but but I, I'm, I, because I'm cheap, if you know me, you know, I'm cheap because I'm cheap. I spread out my haircuts further than I should anyway. So I have the last two weeks of any given haircut. I I'm, <laughs> I'm looking baggy anyway. 
I look like I'm something out of 1977, a cheap CBS crime drama or something. And uh, I'm beyond that. I'm into man bun stage. I was zooming with some friends last night, and uh, I think the, the phrase flock of seagulls was used to describe what appears to have landed in my head. But my my boys are in like full, a week ago, they were Beatles 1966. Now they're Beatles 1967. We're like slowly working our way to Abbey Road. We can pretty soon imitate the Abbey Road photograph, take their shoes off and have them walk across 13th Street here and do a Beatles reconstruction photograph. Well, yeah, Kirk, you are not even approaching college type hair when uh was it your senior year you and a friend decided until you get a job or or was it a job interview you're just not going to cut your hair just to see how long it could get yes and and my yeah go ahead go ahead well just and and my wife's comment she was not a fan of just the wild haired kirk and her comment was uh trying to articulate that Kirk looked like a wild like like a uh, Neanderthal maybe like someone who who would just be uh just a wild man like a grizzly Adams type she said um he looks like he's going to like walk around in the woods and rub up against trees was her comment <laughs> that has entered uh, Haberman lore and so whenever we see a picture of Kirk from that era or whenever your hair gets a little bit long we talk about Kirk rubbing against trees cuz it's a funny image yes yeah that really um I, I, she was really hung up on that. That caused her to approach me with, what do you say, a hermeneutic of suspicion for the first several years. Like, you can't trust a man who will allow himself to look like that, was I think what was basically lurking in the back of her head. Sure. Which, looking back at, you know, 24-year-old me, I, or 23-year-old me, I 22-year-old me, I completely get her conclusion. I probably would look back at that person and say, yeesh. But Yeah. I know you have a few more stories you wanted to share, but we have a lot to talk about this week being Holy yeah. Week. Do you want to share another story or two, or do you want to jump to to uh, Holy Week? Well, I, I did have um, – I do I do have uh, some shopping talk, and okay. uh, this, this kind of bears on, bears on Holy Week. Um, and I don't know if I've talked to you privately about this, Christopher, but um, I mean everyone probably has their shopping stories at this point. Um, but – I I did go shopping that Friday when uh, the cascade of governors across the mm. nation were beginning to announce shutting things down. And I don't say this out of bragging, um, uh, but I, I, I wasn't shopping because I was it was part of the panic. Um, it was just the day that we had our grocery list and that I was going to shop anyway. And, uh, and I didn't go shopping that Friday because I got a sense kind of on social media and whatever, and the funny memes and the crazy pictures and whatever, that that Friday was not the day to do it. So I went on Saturday and uh, I went to our, our Aldi, which is in sort of like like sleepy, pleasant suburbia. Uh, where I live um, is a suburban township um, outside of Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. It's a bedroom, uh, Chippewa Township is a bedroom community for Pittsburgh. It's about a 50 minute drive into Pittsburgh. A lot of people work at the Pittsburgh airport who live here or work in Pittsburgh or work in suburban Pittsburgh. So um, that's what you can picture as you're, you're hearing this. And I walked into Aldi and um, it, it wasn't as if they had been wiped out, wiped out of things. You, they had, they were fully staffed. Um, pallets were in all the aisles. And uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm an extrovert. <laughs> I always, I, I, I don't know. I can never tell if I'm annoying um, employees when I, when I talk to them, but I was kind of asking them, so yesterday was crazy. Like, what was that about? And she just, the, the eye roll in their face was very telling. And so stuff that was gone, right? All the pasta was gone. All the pasta sauce was gone. Um, and they were, they, the pallets were full and they were filling this, filling things. Um, but I could feel, even as you look at empty shelves, this is something like I, I've never been a part of a hurricane, um, Christopher, you've never been a part of kind of a, a hurricane community or anything where you've seen a run on grocery stores. Nope. Um, I can feel the panic rise in my stomach mm. and in my chest. And, and I have to say, it's almost a feeling of spiritual oppression. My head didn't clear until I got into the parking lot and um, it's almost like the walls were painted with fear. Um, it was just a very, very interesting thing. And so there are some things that I was unable to get. So I went down into save a lot, which is then down in Beaver Falls. So the way Pittsburgh communities are, are, are split, you have the historic mill towns, 
um, that are along the rivers because that's where you built the mill. And the, then when to, be, the, to be clear, for the, those people who are young or not sports fans, steel mills. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And then when steel collapsed, uh, I mean, 1982, it, it almost has a specific date. Um, certainly in Beaver County where we are, JNL Steel closed its doors finally then. Um, uh, there was, there was a, a, a swift uh, decline in those mill towns and, and people who could afford to um, built, uh, there, there was this buildup of suburban communities in the townships up away in the bluffs off the river, right? So I'm, I'm shopping down in the river town, down in the steel town, and I'm shopping in Save-A-Lot and cleaning products are there, paper products are there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it's just interesting later on, and I read an article in Mockingbird, it's a great ministry, and um, by our old friend Todd Brewer, who had had um, similar experience. He shopped, he was in New York City, he shopped at a Trader Joe's and every, there, there was a panic. And then he went to his neighborhood kind of local downscale store and and shelves were fine. And he made, I think, the really insightful observation um, that that the poor don't hoard because they're accustomed to their entire life living day to day. And he cited uh, the Beatitudes, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then he cited uh, the end of Matthew 6, um, which was just re- really telling, um, where Jesus teaches of the, the lilies of the valley. Mm. Um, don't be anxious, right? Um, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, your body. Um, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap. They don't gather into barns, right? But their heavenly father feeds them. Um, and all this anxiety that surrounded us, it was it was interesting to see the poor. It wasn't reflected kind of in their shopping habits because, well, they don't don't have the ability to hoard. Right, they um, don't have the money to. Well, and and uh, I want to point out um, that a verse that is taken out of context, and it's great out of context, but it's even better in context, is at the end of that passage um, where Jesus kind of sums it up by saying, "Seek first the kingdom of God." Um, and all these things, well, I mean, if you're taking that out of context, what are all these things? Um, well, it's the things that were just listed. It's, it's, um, do not worry about what you eat or what you will wear, um, what you'll eat, what you drink, what you wear. Um, so it's a, yeah. Um, I always encourage people to read, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount because it's, it's such a beautiful, so we have the Beatitudes, some fantastic teaching, um, there, but including that and, and, um, and just God's provision, the idea, Mm um, of, of, uh, of not putting it to the test, but uh, of trusting God uh, to provide um, and not be working yourself up about these things. And, and so, yeah, panic buying is, um, is a, uh, is a failure to trust in God's provision. And we, uh, we have someone at our church who uh, lost uh, his entire income and I, I called him and, and uh, checked in to see you know, what we could do as, as both as, as a church, uh, both with church money, but also we have a lot of really generous people who would be happy mm. to help them in different ways and who are in fact asking like, what, what can we do to help? And he, uh, it was such a mature insight he had for someone who had just lost his, uh, basically lost his job. And, and he, he looked back at, uh, God providing his people manna in the desert. Um, yes. Yes. And how they were, they were told not to hoard manna. You know, God, God was like, every, every morning is going to be there. You don't need to, to gather up for tomorrow. Trust in me. And um, we can be bad at that, at, at not trusting God. And so, so that would be a, a big spiritual thing for us to consider right now is as, as uh, we are tempted to hoard, as we are tempted uh, as people of means to, to hoard when those who don't have means are not. So if, if, if you're able to hoard, maybe uh, use that those means that you would hoard uh, to donate to a local food shelter. Or um, even like, I know that before this um, there were ministries that would collect paper products because paper products are not uh, accounted for with uh, state aid programs or something. That you mm-hmm. can buy food stamp, you know, food stamps, you know, can buy food, but it doesn't buy you uh, pa- toilet paper. And imagine being uh, in a place where you couldn't afford toilet paper. That'd be a, a tough place to be. And and uh, my wife heard that on the radio and was like, I can't believe it. Some people can't afford toilet paper. So I would like, this was like two years ago. I, I went to Costco and bought like two giant packs and dropped them off at this church so they could donate to 
because um, she was so moved by that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. That's great stuff. Um, so this week, then, when I went, and this is now the, the governor of Pennsylvania has, uh, um, I forget if this has been a federal recommendation or a state recommendation or both. Anyhow, um, masks. We're all to wear masks, right? And everyone, their their Facebook picture is now them in the mask. Or, so I went, I went out in my mask. And uh, because I'm now shopping with the poor people, because I, I know that I can find what I need there. Um, at, at our suburban grocery store, everyone was in masks. And, um, and I've, I've seen on kind of um, our community Facebook that there's kind of some, some mask judgment going on for people who aren't wearing masks. But it was interesting at, at Save-A-Lot at the, it, in the poorer neighborhood, I was the only one aside from the cashier wearing masks. Mm. So that might be the, the flip side of not caring about tomorrow. So I would exhort all of you probably to, to wear masks. Um, shall we pivot to, to, uh, to Holy Week? Let's do it. Let's do it, man. So um, this week is uh, really, um, let, me, let me say what we mean by Holy Week. Holy Week is uh, starting at Palm Sunday uh, through um, the Saturday before, uh, before Easter Sunday. And uh, this is the one uh, time in the year where the church slows down so that our days match Jesus' days on a one-to-one ratio. So it's interesting. We celebrate Christmas on December 25th. Um, and then uh, after the, the 12 days of Christmas comes the season of Epiphany, where we mark uh, the coming of the, the wise men, the Magi. Um, and Epiphany lasts however long it lasts, depending upon lunar cycles of that year. And then comes uh, six weeks of Lent. So that's about, what, three and a half months typically, would we say? And that, we, we mark 33 years of Jesus' life in those three and a half months, right? So we jam a lot of important events and lessons of our Lord's life um, in those three and a half months. And then we slam the brakes on Palm Sunday, and we spend one week where we walk with our Lord every day. Um, and so we'll talk a little bit about that, but um, the church stops <laughs> to walk in our Lord's footsteps, and uh, and we should too. And that's kind of, listener, we'd like to help you think and pray um, through how to do that, especially in this this strange time. Um, Christopher, you and I grew up, not, not entirely in this, but, but adjacent to um, a world of very God-fearing, um, Bible-believing, evangelical Protestantism that made sort of a leap over Holy Week from Palm Sunday to Easter. Would you say that's kind of fair to say in some cases? Sure. Yeah, not necessarily in our um, Methodist practice as right. children, yeah. but but kind of the milieu that um, of, of evangelicalism that we would have experienced among our peers and friends in college, certainly. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, we it, probably at, in sinful moments, um, I know that I've clucked at um, the the mega church down the street that's doing an Easter egg hunt on mm. Good Friday, mm. um, and so uh, I, I know that we have a lot of listeners that are, that are kind of in that world, and so instead of clucking, I think today you and I want to spend a few minutes maybe helping all of us together mark these days and giving us tools in how to how to read, how to pray, how to how to kind of be in a posture towards our Lord together, even though we're separated, but together in spirit doing this together. So today is uh, is the Wednesday of Holy Week that we're recording this. You may be listening to this Wednesday evening, or you may not. You may be listening to this on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. 
Um, but Wednesday is often called Spy Wednesday, which I always love that name. Um, and it's because the reading for today is from uh, Matthew 26. And who is the uh, main character in this reading, Christopher? I'm sorry, I was looking at someone else. Can you answer your own question? I was looking at something else. I, it was a rhetorical question just to keep you engaged, but I'm sorry. Judas, Judas is the main character. Um, uh, Judas the betrayer. And we had a we had a question from a listener um, uh, about how sometimes it seems that bi- biblical villains are pawns. Um, talked about Pharaoh or Nebuchadnezzar or or Judas. That's a great question, and that's a that's a deep question. And I would send you. I don't want to really go down that road right now. To Christopher, would you say Romans nine? Saint Paul gingerly dips his mm. toe in that pool. Um, Jacob, have I loved? Esau, have I rejected? Why it is that God elects some and um, and others aren't? <laughs> well, and um, and, there, and there's a metaphor about a potter and clay. Uh, that's right. In is a clay potter. Yeah, I, I would, I would be cautious in in answering it in in too quick a manner, because I don't want any answer to seem trite. Because it's like these are things that are worth wrestling with. There's a reason that Paul wrote about it, um, yes. and and uh, so it's it's natural to ask these questions. Um, and, and Judas, I think, is a particularly hard one. The, the listener question we had involved, you know, Pharaoh and and God, and we, and we see that God hardened his heart. Of course, um, part of that is uh, understanding the Hebrew mind, uh, which I think, uh, and, and I don't mean the Hebrew mind is something separate from the Christian mind necessarily. I think we ought to appreciate the Hebrew mind a little bit more in understanding uh, God's providence and God's sovereignty, that God is in control and God is over all. And so, um, we see that in the Old Testament in a lot of different ways, and we see it today. In if uh, Jews are talking, uh, they don't. Christians spend a lot of time talking about theodicy, um, uh, or we talk about the, the problem of evil, and, and we we struggle with. Um, th- this, these aren't questions that the Jews ask. Like it's it's assumed that God is in control, that God is good. And um, that God is powerful, and um, they don't spend as much time asking those questions because they acknowledge that all things come from God. And this um, comes out in interesting ways in the Old Testament. We see, um, I mean, this is something I, when I was taking Old Testament uh, in seminary, uh, and you're kind of scrutinizing the text, where we see that God sends an evil spirit on Saul. It's like, what? Like, uh, yes. why? how is God sending an evil spirit? And again, don't want to answer it with too trite of an answer, except to say that in the Hebrew mind, like, um, like nothing can happen without God's permission. Um, and, uh, and, you know, good or evil, um, not that God necessarily causes these things, but in this case, they do attribute bad things to God, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and um, a, an, even an evil spirit coming from God and being sent to someone. So it, it's something to, to for maybe us to tackle at length in another episode, but it's a really good yeah. question. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, um, it, it put me in mind, I'm not making a particular theological point, this is more of a literary observation. It put me in mind of Dante's Inferno, where in the, the various levels of, of punishment and rings of hell, um, at the very center... Um, kind of trapped from their waist down are Brutus, who betrayed Caesar, and uh, and Judas, who betrayed Jesus. And so for Dante, treachery was a particularly damnable offense. Mm. And um, and and I I think perhaps he had Florentine politics in mind <laughs> as much as anything else. Mm. But uh, but the image was was well crafted and and really stuck in my head um, when I read that. As a young man, well, um, and, and, so, and yeah, go, yeah. I'm sorry. Finish your point. No, I was about to pivot. Oh, okay. You, well, so let's. It's it's easy to feel sympathy for for Judas, um, but let's not remember that he's a totally innocent guy either. Um, that's we, right. we remember right. um, that he had charge of the purse, and um, 
and so we're told of this. I, I don't know how much of this was uh, known by people outside of Jesus at the time. Certainly these gospels, when they're written, were, were written later, and they could look back and tell the story of of um, the woman with the alabaster jar um, and, and taking a, a, basically a nest egg, like almost a lifetime's worth of savings, or, or not taking a great deal of money uh, that was uh, in this perfume and using that. And, and, and it, we're told in the gospel that that he didn't really care about the poor, that but that he was in charge of the money for the poor. And when he said, uh, we could have used this money um, to help those who are poor, uh, in fact, what he wanted was the money for himself. Um, yeah. So we, we talk about, um, both in, in Romans 1, Paul talks about sin as, uh, it's kind of a scary idea of God allowing us, um, like the worst thing, that could happen is for God to like turn us over to our own sin. Um, this sin, which is fool's gold that, that, that seems enticing to us. If God just lets us chase after that, that that is a punishment in itself. And we talk about um, human nature being curved in on itself. And um, it seems that that was Judas before this even happened. So it wasn't that Judas was a pawn that God used um, and, and punished, but, Judas was probably, and and there's a little bit of conjecture here on my part, but it, if we take a biblical theology of just this idea of, of being curved in on oneself uh, and, and being turned over to our own greed and sin, um, and the idea of a guy who liked money a lot scheming to to betray Jesus, uh, that goes together pretty well as far as like this being Judas uh, Judas's idea, not um, something that God somehow condemned him to do or like caused him to do and then punished him for it. Does that make sense? That makes, that makes total sense. So let's look at, um, Thursday. Thursday is Maundy Thursday. And, um, that comes from, it's Maundy is an interesting word. Um, as kids, Christopher, I, I don't know, you <laughs> probably felt be like, what the heck is Monday Thursday? Uh, but Maundy is a, a corruption of the Latin, mandatum novum, which is the lesson um, for the day, a new commandment I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And this is the, the, great, um, the great John foot washing passage. Um, John 13 is sort of the heart of this service, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, um, okay, uh, it, it means commandment. I'm sorry, did you say this? It means commandment, and it comes from Jesus' commandment. Did you say that? I, that is precisely what I just said. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So um, Monday, Thursday uh, has has several different themes. Um, it, it tries to do a bunch of things, and I, th- I think it does it well. Um, you do have that, love one another as I have loved you. So you have this foot washing, which is a, a lovely um, a lovely picture of what servant ministry is like. Um you also have um, the color for the day is white, which is how the church celebrates high feast days, right? So in the midst of um, uh, what are some, some dark events in, uh, in this week and Lent, um, we have this celebration, and it's a celebration because it's the night of the Lord's Supper. So it's the institution of Holy Communion as well. Um, and then there's, there's a pivot as well. Um, we have the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane and and the betrayal. Um, the service is usually conducted in the evening, so it has a has a tenderness. Um, I see. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know if you have any any thoughts on on the, the foot washing passage, but but I certainly see um, um, baptism leaping up in front of us mm. um, when Peter's like when Peter says, uh, um, whoa, whoa, "Whoa, whoa, I should wash you. You shouldn't mm. wash me." Um, Jesus said, um, "If you do, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me." Um, and um, Jesus offers to wash us and uh, and make us clean, and wash us in His cleansing waters. And uh, and so I, I find this beautiful. There are some churches that, that do the foot washing. I remember we had uh, uh, very early on when I arrived at St. Christopher's, we tried a foot washing service and. Um, and I think it went over, as they say, like a lead balloon. <laughs> there are a lot of people who are embarrassed about their feet, and so it didn't take. Um, <laughs> have you have any experience at all with foot washing, Christopher? I, I do not. One year, I remember 
we did a, a hand washing, thinking that people would be more inclined to let someone else wash their hands. So, so uh, yeah, because people are sensitive about their feet. I don't know if it's foot odor or or foot shape, like having gnarly toes. But yeah, I've never experienced that. I, I know that our cathedral church in our diocese, um, that they do foot washing. I don't know how many people participate in that as far as volunteer to let their feet be washed. But you, you bring up this idea of baptism and of Christ uh, washing us. And I think it's worth uh, just briefly exploring uh, the differences in our idea of what baptism is, um, and and our 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 um, believers' baptism or credo Baptist friends, mm, yes. Yes. and uh, for our our credo Baptist friends or believers' baptism Baptist friends, what baptism is often is a personal profession of faith. Um, and it's about uh, it's more about the person than what God is doing in the act of baptism. Uh, for us, uh, we baptize babies for a number of reasons. Uh, number one is is um, Jesus said, "Suffer the children to come unto me," and um, and we're not going to do anything to to, to prevent um, the kingdom of God coming to to children because the kingdom of God is for children. Um, and of course, at uh, on the on the eighth day, uh, Jewish babies were circumcised, and we see in the new uh, circumcision was a a covenant, uh, a way of entering the covenant to say like you are marked as God's own, like you belong to God's people uh, on the eighth day. Um, and um, but then like later in life, they would take up that faith as their own, and and that's kind of what we do is that we initiate them into the faith through infant baptism, um, and. And uh, saying that um, they are being washed, yes, because uh, and that's why we don't rebaptize uh, when people profess their own faith for themselves, uh, because it doesn't make sense to like God has already acted in baptism. That 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 baptism is more about what God is doing in it. And if you read, um, if you go through and do a study of of what when baptism is is mentioned in scripture, uh, it doesn't say as much about the people and their profession of faith as it does uh, baptism for the forgiveness of sins or, or the right. things that are are results of baptism. Uh, there's a lot of, of, of scripture about that, the saying like God acts in this way through baptism. And so um, it doesn't make sense to baptize, baptize someone twice when God has already acted in that way. He, you know, that's, if you're baptized five times, um, God, like the first one was efficacious. So, um, so I, I would just commend people to, to at some point, to just do a study on, on what the Bible says. Like, what does the Bible to, uh, isolate what the Bible says about baptism? That's an interesting, uh, project to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, we, we can certainly, we will certainly do a baptism episode at another yeah. point. I would just say briefly this to help contrast, um, probably, um, certain Protestant traditions, Baptistic traditions, and then um, the historic Christian teaching. Um, uh, believers Baptists believe that um, the directionality is up, that it's something that we present to God. And, and we believe um, the, the faith that we've received from the, the apostles and the church fathers and scripture, we think, is that um, baptism is something that God gives to us so that the benefits of his passion and resurrection are applied to us. Um, and that that really accords with scripture and that faith is a gift, right? So your good Calvinist Baptist will acknowledge that, of course, faith is a gift, right? So, but that is for another time. Mm -hmm. um, we should talk about how this service closes mm -hmm. um, because this can inform what we do um, as families on uh, tomorrow, on Thursday. Um, the service closes with uh, stripping of the altar. Um, sometimes Psalm 22 can be read or sung as the altar is stripped, or sometimes it can be just as affecting to mm. strip the altar in silence. Mm -hmm. By stripped, uh, if if you've seen this or if you've not seen this, we mean stripped. Anything that isn't bolted down mm. in sanctuary, so the part of the church up front, is removed. Um, and so that the first, the obvious stuff, right? The chalice, um, all of the vessels that were used in Holy Communion. Um, and then, then the altar linens, the cloth, then things like the cross, 
Um, and then if there's a stone altar, so I've never been in a church with a stone altar, but remnants of the wine, which are usually drunk um, to, by a priest or a deacon or a kind of a, a lay Eucharistic minister, um, remnants of the wine are, are dumped on the altar. Um, and over the course of years and decades, we'll leave a red stain on the altar, which, oh my gosh, the mm. power of that imagery, right? Mm-hmm. That our altar is stained with our Lord's blood and you only see it on Monday, Thursday, when the only time that you take the altar linen off. Um, but but our, our church has a lovely wooden altar, so we, we just strip that. And and um, oftentimes the altar is washed. And uh, the, the lights are turned out. And um, and there is no benediction. There is no best blessing at the end of this service. You depart in silence. And uh, and the, the imagery here is specific and intentional. Um, because we read in uh, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, that they, at the end of the Lord's Summer, they, Supper, they sing a hymn, and then they go to the garden, and within hours, they will all abandon our Lord. So the stripping of the altar is, uh, is, is a very stark visual representation of the abandoning of Jesus by all those who said, what does Thomas say in uh, um, John 11? Let us go that we might die with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then days later, yeah, where, where is that bravado? Um, and the, the reason that there is no benediction and uh, you depart in silence, um, there's no let us go forth in peace to love and serve the Lord, thanks be to God, none, none of that, um, is because these three days, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, are um, part of what is called the triduum which is Latin for just three days. It's one service. It's one continuous service. Um, and uh, and this is uh, the stripping the altar. Um, since my children have been very young, um, was very visually affecting for them. I think more affecting than, than hearing. I mean, if you're like six or seven years old, more effective than hearing the passion is to actually see what it's like when something is laid bare. And Christopher, you've moved out of play, out of homes, right? Um, uh, rooms that you love, spaces that you love, um, it does something physically to your stomach that last moment when you're standing in the room before you leave, and it's totally empty. Mm. And all the things that made it made it a place that 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 had importance and power and memory to you, it's all gone. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that imagery is powerfully at work, and. Uh, in Monday, Thursday. Yeah. Next. Yeah. Before we uh, move on. Yeah. I, I just want to testify to, to the power of sitting in silence, watching um, everything ornamental being stripped from the altar uh, in sitting in reverent silence and then leaving the church without anything being spoken, without talking to anyone else really um, does uh, bring to mind the abandonment of Jesus. And it's, it's an odd and, and um, awkward thing that, that really uh, embodies, uh, helps you sense uh, just uh, the, the, the power of it. It's a, it's a powerful and affecting thing. Yes, absolutely. And that flows right into um, the next service, which is uh, Good Friday. Um, and Good Friday begins as uh, as Monday Thursday ended <laughs> in silence. Um, sometimes, you know, depending upon the church, you'll see the priest or the pastor prostrate before the bare altar. Um, and if you've never seen that, it's a it's a, a strange strange thing. Um, and uh, and this service is the most stark and stripped down for historic churches. So whether you're Anglican or Lutheran or Catholic, this is the most simplistic service. And uh, we think that this liturgy that we use for Good Friday goes all the way back to Justin Martyr. So what are we talking? Um, 
I should have looked this up and I'm sorry. <laughs> 100 AD, 120 AD, something like this. Um, so this is very old and very basic. Um, uh, Christopher, I've been, I've been really super talky and I'm sorry about that. Um, what are your thoughts on Good Friday? Well, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts um, on, so we have two liturgies for Good Friday. We have um, the Good Friday liturgy and then we have the Stations of the Cross. Um, so I'm curious for you to talk a little bit about that. But but actually first, um, one thing that I was hoping for is, uh, you know, you mentioned how some churches jump from from Palm Sunday to Easter. And, and mm-hmm. I have friends who, who were assistant or associate pastors and um, kind of expressed to me a little discomfort with their, like they would have a Good Friday service, but um, their, like the senior pastor didn't allow the weight of Good Friday to just sit with you, that they yes. jumped to Easter. Yeah. So on Good Friday, they're talking about the resurrection, and, and there's something to just acknowledging um, the death, the suffering and death, and not mentioning the resurrection. Of course, we live in the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, but just for a few days of the year, we sit with the weight of, of that death. And so, um, and uh, yes, I've, I've many, many thoughts on that. Yeah. And so when um, you talk about us being a crossed centered uh, Christians, cross-centered Christians with a cross-centered podcast, um, th- those things are totally related. The, the sense of um, we need to be cross-centered knowing that we were bought uh we were bought with a price. Yes. We don't so, get Easter without Good Friday. Well, that's right. And 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 it's first of all, we shouldn't pit Easter and Good Friday against each other. Um, they are two sides of one coin. It is um Jesus' death, well, <laughs> his circumcision, his observance of the law, his but his death, his passion, his death, and his resurrection, all those things are what what guarantees for us redemption of sins and um, the promise of eternal life. Yeah, so uh, it, it's odd to privilege one over the other. But in some ways, actually, Good Friday is the high point. Um, our Lord on the cross is the single greatest picture of love that are, that there is. Mm, yeah. This is, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Um, uh, we, we have, in the beginning, in the garden, we have a tree as, as the source of our, our misery, our fall, our sin. Um, but God, in his um, mystical goodness and provision, uses a tree to undo and to knit back together all that was ripped apart um, with the tree in the garden. And that tree's fruit is our Lord's broken body and dripping with blood um, and never have any, has any tree had ever lovelier flowers and lovelier fruit Mm. than our Lord hanging there. And, um, and this is where I'm going to get probably my thorniest in in terms of uh, high or Catholic churchmanship. Um, You'll hear uh, people say occasionally um, uh, the the cross, the cross should be empty um, as, Mm. as a, demonstration of our lord's resurrection no what they mean and they're not thinking through this really and it's not their fault they probably heard it from someone else mm-hmm. but they mean that the tomb should be empty <laughs> mm. no the cross needs the god man on it mm. <laughs> no god man on the cross and you'll never get the empty tomb and you'll never get the easter that i think you're pointing to when you try to make that point so uh, i'm a i'm actually lately in life a big fan of crucifixes mm-hmm. Well, we have good evangelical brothers and sisters who have no problem having cra- uh, um, during Christmas tide having um, what am I trying to say cradles not cradles um, a manger manger and Jesus in the manger and they don't say um, the manger is out em- the manger <laughs> needs to be empty Jesus is ascended on high um, no they in their hearts they understand the point that by seeing um, God as a baby. You marvel at the tenderness that our Lord would come down and endure that vulnerability for us. Um, and, and so when we see um, Jesus on the cross, on a crucifix, um, where we our gut should get the point, which is that is the, the very picture of love. You want to know what love looks like? That's what love looks like. Uh, Martin Luther made the point that um, you want to know what God is for you? 
you need the hairy God. He meant Jesus, right? Mm, mm. And why did God become hairy? <laughs> to use Luther's earthy point, he became hairy for this day, for Good Friday. Mm. And that's why it's called good, right? Not mm -hmm. tragic Friday or sad Friday or dark Friday or black Friday. It is good. Um, and so that's why we shouldn't leap over it. This is, um, this is, it's everything, all of our Lord's ministry is crescendoing to this point um, that he would, uh, that his veins would be cut open and his blood would be spilt is the thing that the devil wants to avoid the most. And that's why he says, get behind me, Satan. Anytime a disciple su suggests sort of a political glory or a different kind of victory, because Jesus knows that victory is his blood being spilt on the cross. So that, dear listener, is what we mean when we say the cross is our theology, that we are cross-centered, cross-focused. How's that, Christopher? <laughs> Very good. Very good. And our uh, the Old Testament reading this past Sunday, we haven't we usually just mention the gospel readings, but but the Old Testament reading that accompanies the Passion from Matthew in year A, um, there are three years in our cycle, um, and this is year A, is uh, Isaiah fifty three, um, the suffering servant, uh, the song of the suffering servant, um, this idea of of by his stripes we are healed. Um, that he suffered for our sake. Uh, upon him was the chastisement of us all, uh, and by his stripes we are healed. By, by his wounds we are healed, and and we see that in the in the face of Christ. And um, yeah, it's it's interesting the things that are impressed in uh, upon us, uh, kind of culturally. Um, I came up with a cultural understanding of the cross, how it ought to be empty, and uh, so I had some resistance um, to the idea of a crucifix, um, and much like you, uh, that resistance has, has, uh, diminished, uh, to the point where when I see, a, a the bleeding face of, of my God, um, that that is a, a beautiful sight that, um, mm. that, uh, that's, that's the sight of, of love, uh, of like, let's not, um, the power of the cross isn't an empty cross. The power of the cross is is Christ on it, um, uh, suffering for our sins. Amen, amen. Well said. And and that service um, again ends in silence because these three days are sort of one um, powerful entity, which brings us to Holy Saturday. Saturday has kind of a it's it's kind of a quiet thing because our Lord rested, a well deserved rest, right? Rested in the tomb. Um, but in the evening, uh, late in the evening, there's this tradition um, of the Easter Vigil, which, as an adult, has become I didn't I didn't grow up with this. Um, as an adult, has become a very powerful uh, part of my life. I was actually confirmed on the Easter Vigil. Um, the Easter Vigil is probably one of the longest services that we have in the Western Church. Um, it can be over two hours, right? Mm -hmm. And um, uh, so the Easter Vigil is, it. I'm not going to go into it in too great a detail, but, um, but it starts um, in darkness with just one light, one candle is lit, um, and uh, that, that light of that candle is spread slowly to, to other, other candles um, for, for the people in the congregation. And, uh, and a bunch of lessons can be read. Um, five, six, seven, ten lessons can be read depending upon how long you want to do it. Um, 
And, uh, and I have to credit a Lutheran theologian, Will Whedon, for explaining why the service is so long and why all these Old Testament lessons are read. Um, the, the Exodus and uh, the Valley of Dry Bones and Elijah. And, uh, and, and he made the point that uh, um, the name Christian is such a short little name. But one night a year on Easter Eve, the vigil before Easter, um, we say our name in its full length, mm. and it takes three hours to tell our story. And he was reminded of uh, the Ents in Lord of the Rings, <laughs> who uh, drive drive the hobbits who are eager for action and want a decision, right? Will the Ents fight with us or will they not fight with us? And uh, Treebeard says to, I forget which one of the hobbits, he says, anything that's worth saying takes a while to say it. And this is the one night in the year where we take a while to say what our name Christian means. The whole story of our, our fall, the promise of our redemption, and the coming, the coming of our redemption. And this is a meaningful service for me personally. I, like I said, I was confirmed at the service. Um, my son, my oldest son, Bryden, he's 12. He, uh, he came with me last year and found it very spiritually affecting. Um, the church nearby that holds this service, Grace Church in Edgeworth, begins it in a crypt outside the church. Um, and uh, that is powerful imagery, right? The night before, moments before our Lord resurrected, we are amongst um, the bodies of believers who one day, because of the power of our Lord's resurrection, will be ripped from their grave by that same power. Um and uh, and so there's there's no obligation. Uh, most Easter vigils don't actually last until midnight, and then turn the lights on at midnight. <laughs> Though I suppose at some some places that does happen. Um, Christopher, uh, since you have left Pittsburgh, have you been able to uh, attend Easter vigils, or has that kind of uh, not been a part of your life recently? I've only attended one Easter vigil service, uh, sadly. Uh, just for, for with kids being a certain age and, and my wife's job and working weekends and, and nights and various things. Uh, I've only attended one. Uh, and uh, if, if you don't have a crypt, uh, oftentimes it'll start in the basement or even yes. in, or even um, in the narthex um, because there's an idea of movement from dark uh, to light. And, and you know, that, that's, that can be a, a powerful and affecting thing. One thing I, I want to add for those who are uh, perhaps confused by the idea of um, Christ dying on Friday and being in the grave for three days uh, yes. is, again, to—so so the Bible talks about him being dead three days, or um, uh, the prophecies also say that, you know, Jesus predicted that he would die and after three days be, uh, be raised again. And you're like, well, it's—but he died Friday and, and he was raised Sunday— we need to think to uh, again back to Hebrew culture, um, which used inclusive counting. So uh, inclusive counting means uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, one, two, three, three days. So uh, if, if if you think that somehow like Jesus and, and the apostles got this wrong because the days don't match up, um, just we just need to think about how they thought of uh, counting and how they thought of uh, days. Yeah. So can we talk about um, how uh, how we as Christians and our listeners can ob- can observe these at home? Mm, yeah. Um, in, in the absence of kind of being with fellow believers at church. Mm-hmm. Um, so Thursday, tomorrow, um, I think one thing that we can do, and I'm sure you have thoughts on this, is, um, is uh, at, at, a, at the meal, at a family meal, or maybe after the family meal, um, read that, read John 13. And we'll leave links to all of this on our Facebook page, and uh, and in the in the show notes, and uh, and we can perhaps all um, then clear the table in silence. Mm. Um, it, when maybe while someone reads uh, Psalm twenty-two, and turn the lights off, um, and that can be for us um, as families or just as you home alone. Um, look at that bare table, which is often the the, the place where games happen and happiness and important discussions. And um, after it's been washed, uh, maybe connect with, talk with those around you then about kind of the, the emptiness there and the emptiness of our Lord after being, after being abandoned. Um, do you have any thoughts about what families can do on Thursday, Christopher? I, I like your suggestion. Yeah. 
Um, and then Friday, Friday, I think all of this needs to be soaked in scripture and prayer as well. So um, um, the reading for, uh, for Thursday is John 13. Um, the reading, the reading for Friday, and we'll, we'll leave a link to that. Um, is that John's passion? I don't have that in front of me. I'm pretty sure that's John's passion. Forgive me. Yeah, it is John. Um, so that's John 18 and John 19. Um, I would certainly say um, very solemnly um, with those that you're around, read that. Um, also, from noon to three, when our Lord hung on the cross, it is customary to, to fast and to um, pray in silence. So even if kind of you're not able to have three hours of silence in your house, I know, Christopher, you and I aren't. <laughs> um, <laughs> at least sort of marking that time and saying to your children, um, hey, at noon, hey, this is the hour that our Lord hung on the cross. And maybe on each hour, I'm spending some time in prayer. Or sing a hymn if you have a hymn all around. Um, and if you're able to fast, that's good. Um, there's actually an older tradition of just fasting entirely on Friday. Um, if you're able to do that and if you find that spiritually beneficial, that's good as well. If you're unable to do that, of course, that's it's not like you're presenting to Jesus some impressive work. Um, and then and then um, on Saturday um, as well, there are all kinds of yeah, all kinds of fun stuff you can do while you wait, um, making eggs, and um, that's kind of the thing that I think most families kind of intuitively get is the anticipation. Well, while our Lord was was in the tomb, his work was done, his labors were laid down, and we know that um, that the power of Easter morning is coming. Closing thoughts, Christopher. Yeah, our uh, it's this is all quite hard to do when we're not together, when we aren't able to gather for uh, for worship, especially uh, uh, especially Palm Sunday. We talked about uh, the corporate act of of celebrating the triumphal entry, but the same thing goes for Easter. This idea of uh, usually we gather together, and there's this great Easter acclamation, and 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 I'll say it now. Uh, it's it's Alleluia. He is risen, and we haven't said the word Alleluia for forty days through all of Lent. We've put away that word, um, so that we could take it out again on on Easter uh, and with joy celebrate. And that will be very hard for us to do apart. And so one thing that we're doing, uh, the churches in our movement, churches in our diocese, is uh, we're we're doing a holy noise um, for one minute at noon on Easter even though we're not together is we're going to go outside, ring bells, uh, bang pots and pans and, and, and shout hallelujah. Christ is risen uh, because this is our great high holiday. Um, the church that I pastor is called church of the resurrection. Easter is, we are resurrection people. So we'll talk more about Easter next week. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's, let's move on to our, our closing prayers. Uh, I've, cause I've got to run and uh, usually I've been doing the closing prayers. Um, but uh, we are, uh, we could talk more in the future about this, but we believe in the priesthood of all believers. So I, I am a priest, um, but we are also a kingdom of priests. <laughs> um, I am a priest, and there are certain things that I can do that that Kirk can't do. Um, but uh, saying these prayers, leading these prayers, that's not one of those things. Yes, yeah, and um, and especially during this strange time, it's important for parents to remember that you are the pastor of your home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. Take, put your hand on the wheel and mm -hmm. uh, lead your family in prayer. Um, you're not, um, you're not doing something above your station or you're not, you know, putting a priest's collar on, uh, accidentally or uh, no, you are, you are the shepherd of your home and that's what priest means. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so you're, we're, you're doing the right thing when you lead your family in morning prayer or evening prayer or, Absolutely. Do not lead them in communion. <laughs> That's right. That is bad. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Assist us mercifully with your grace, Lord God of our salvation, that we may enter with joy upon the meditation of those mighty acts by which you have promised us life and immortality through Jesus Christ, our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. 
Almighty Father, whose most dear Son on the night before he suffered, instituted the sacrament of his body and blood, mercifully grant that we may receive it in thankful remembrance of Jesus Christ our Savior, who in these mysteries gives us a pledge of eternal life, and who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Light in our darkness, we beseech you, O Lord, and by your great mercy defend us from all perils and dangers of this night for the love of your only Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.